Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we've come to the end of our sermon series called Collide, and we've really noticed, and be honest with you, you have experienced, as I have experienced, two worlds in constant collision. That collision began at the very beginning there in the Garden of Eden, where there's a a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and all of a sudden there's this collision course because the value systems are polar opposite. One is about the way, the truth, and the other one is about to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, one says, I believe in death. And the other one says, I believe in life. The other one says, I believe in hatred. I believe in love. You begin to see how these two opposing cultures and worlds and value systems, they cannot coexist. There will be collision. There will be conflict. And if you have not seen this in your own life, then you better ask yourself, how's my walk with Jesus? Because if you're serving the king, other people are going to notice. And they're going to buck up. And what comes to mind is, what do I do? And the answer is, love. Love matters most. So as we started this series on week one, we really looked at the foundation of standing firm in the faith and in the Word of God. On week two, we looked at how God wants to transform our mind. And if our mind is transformed, then our lives will become transformed. In in the Greek, it's called metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis, as in an ugly old creepy little caterpillar that turns into a magnificent butterfly. Last week, we looked at receiving truth from God's Word. Do you know you can also receive truth directly from the Holy Spirit? See, but if you're not spending time in God's Word, how many know it will show? Just my hand, right? By the way, I'll put two hands. You catch what I'm saying? Today we're going to close out this series, and I believe standing firm on our faith has to include, well, the most important four-letter word there is, love. We have to love what matters most, to love what God says matters most, which is to love God and to love others. The Bible talks seriously about the importance of choosing to spend time with God in order to grow in our love of God and with God. Because as we do, we will be drawn closer to God. And God, rather than the things of the world. Now, this is really important. You know, in our modern day way, we we pull out our Bibles through our cell phones, right? version or something like that. Now, here's the thing. If you do this every single day, but your heart's not in it, why did you bother? If I'm not all the way in, body, soul, and spirit, in my devotions with the Lord, I am just doing a ritual like brushing my teeth. 
But when I give my heart to it, it's like when I first started dating my wife. And she didn't know I was the one, but I did. I would get her on the phone and I would talk to her and I would talk to her and she was ready to hang up and I said, oh no, we got to talk some more. I didn't get enough. 30 minutes wasn't enough. An hour wasn't enough. I would go as long as she would let me go until she hung up. Then I called her right back and said, did you miss me? (laughs) Poor thing. But I won. Why was I like that? Because my heart was in it. I didn't care about time. I cared about being with her. See, that's how it should be when you open up the Word. Is your heart in it? Are you worried about the time? Do you love the Lord? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. And John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he writes this, he says, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. I mean, that's pretty clear. 16. For the world offers only, catch this, Three times you're going to see this word, craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world, and this world is fading away, along with everything that people, say it with me, crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, John talks about craving here in this passage. He says, we are tempted to crave the things of the world. Am I the only one that's ever been tempted to crave the things of the world? Sometimes I crave Doritos. See what I'm saying? We crave things. However, I believe the first step to loving what matters most is to correct the cravings. Let's look at correcting the cravings. We've already highlighted in this sermon series all the different desires in this series. All that are of God and all those things that are of the enemy. And they're polar opposite. They're as clear as day. For example, he says things like physical pleasure and cravings for things we see. Maybe you can relate. We're all being tempted, folks. Like it says in that verse. The problem is not that we have desires. No, the problem is when the desire is outside the will and ways of God. Physical pleasure or the things we see are not the problem. The problem comes when our heart becomes lustful and self-centered. When things like these become an idol for me or for you. And we give ourselves over to it. Anything we can do to get fame. Anything we can do for our lust. Anything we can do for our self-centeredness. Anything we can do for me, myself, and I. It's the new Holy Trinity, don't you know? 
Nothing holy about it. See, God knows that things like these are ultimately not going to satisfy. They're not going to bring contentment. But the good news is, the things of the world were never designed to bring fulfillment, to bring contentment or satisfaction or purpose. The things of God were. And that's the only place we find purpose and meaning, satisfaction, contentment, fulfillment. I think God wants us all to constantly correct our cravings each and every day. Not just once a month at, at communion. Okay, it's that once a month. Let me check myself. Am I doing all right? That's too late. Every day. Every day. Multiple times during the day. Constantly. Constantly. God wants you to hunger after something more than what this world has to offer. We're to crave His love. And the way in which we find God's love is first by finding Him and then abiding in Him and abiding in His Word. Part of that is receiving and giving God's love in return. I think a big question to ask ourselves is, how can I love better? Another question is, do I love like Jesus? Wow. Wow. In 1 John, the Bible tells us that God is love. When we find God, we find true love. And in this verse, we, we read a that we just read a few moments ago, we have to pay attention to how John ends that section of that text. He says, the things of this world, even the world itself, will one day pass away. So, I'm going to read that verse again in verse 17. Again, 1 John chapter 2. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Wow. I, I want us to let these words just soak into our hearts for a moment. Everything in this world, one day, will all pass away. But anyone who does what pleases God, live forever. In Luke 21, verse 33, it says, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3.13, it's not in your notes, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Guys, everything's going to be destroyed, and one day God's going to make everything brand new. By the way, it's, it, it's for another sermon, but Paul talks about three heavens. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I just teased a bunch of people right there. And... He says he's going to make a new earth. Why? It's all being contaminated with this thing called sin. I don't know what you said, but amen. 
So one day, heaven and earth will both pass away. But God's word will last forever. So why do I want the things of the world in, when I can have the word of God which will last forever? Why am I saying this is great? I know it's seductive. I know it's, it's misleading. I know if I go this route, I'm living by lies. But man, it sure tastes good. But over here, the truth that lasts forever. Wow. The world's love is, is what I would like to call conditional Conditional love. If you do this, I'll give you that. If you don't do this, I will give you that. It's all conditional. Jesus' love is all unconditional. There's nothing you can do or not do that's going to make me stop loving you. How many say amen to that? See, but as soon as someone wrongs us, or says something rude to us, or causes you pain in some way, all of a sudden they're no longer worthy of our love. Are we conditional? God wants to rewrite the narrative of love. His love is unconditional. Here's how I know it's unconditional. None of us here today deserve to be loved by God. It says in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know, if God was only a just God, we would all be worthy of hell. But because of His unconditional love and because He honors the blood of Jesus... Oh, wow. Heaven eternal. Even with this being true, God decided to show His love, His, His grace, His mercy to Marvin anyways. Because we are His children. God's already made the decision to love you and to love me. But according to the world and the conditions of the world, you know as well as I do, you ain't worthy of love by anybody if they really knew who you and I were. The only question is, will we make the decision to love Him back the same way? How many times has it been hard to serve God because He didn't answer your prayer over here? And He didn't do it the way you wanted over here. And they mistreated you over here and they lied about you, and it cost you a lot. And those family members, and those kids, and that boss, and that guy over there who stole that account from you. Where were you, God? Where were you, God? Are, are we willing to live unconditional in our relationship with God and love Him, even when things don't make sense? Even when we're living a life of Job? That's not easy. But that's the standard. To love like Jesus loved. You see, it's a daily decision to make. Many people believe once you 
pray that sinner's prayer and invite Jesus to be the king of your heart and your life, that you're good. You got your bus pass, you're going to heaven. That's all I need. Now I can go live on that side. I want us to understand the decision to follow Christ with our lives has to be made new each and every day. If we don't, we'll follow the ways of the world. Because every day we will be confronted with temptation to give our lives to something else outside of God. John knew that he would be confronted with these things. And Jesus himself knew he would be confronted with these things. But he gave us his word to guide us. Here's a question we have to ask ourselves each day. Do the decisions I make align with the Word of God? Do my actions reflect that I'm an actual disciple of Christ? If you were to be arrested today for being a Christian, could they actually find proof and evidence to convict you in a court of law? Are there tangible, substantive things in your life that shows the world that you're a Christian outside your immediate little family? Do your neighbors know? Do people out there know? Is there proof? God sent His one and only Son into the world to redeem the world. You could say that Jesus was sent on a collision course with the world. His desire. As we see in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So many people think God's merciless, and he, He's not. How many would say, Lord, I wish you would have came so much long ago. This world's turning bad. What about the people you know even today who don't really know Christ? Aren't you glad that He's being patient? That everyone could have a real opportunity to come to know Christ? You know what the signs of a real revival are? When the people in the pews and the pastor actually can't help themselves, they have to tell somebody about Jesus. They have to tell others about their story with God. That's revival. The pastor doesn't have to say anything. They can't help it. That's what happened in Wales, in the Wales Revival. There's one story about uh, an elder, a deacon, who had been in the church for decades, but had never shared Christ with anybody outside of talking about Christ in the church. But he had prayed that there would be 18 youth that would actually show up to church for the revival that was going on. 
And next thing you know, for some reason, he saw somebody. He went up to the altar, and he saw him. It was a young person. And he begins to talk with him. Before you know it, there's crying at the altar. And he led that young boy to Christ. Before the night was out, he led all 18 of those young boys to Christ. He had never in his whole life led anybody to Christ. But he couldn't help himself. How about you? What's holding you back? Sharing about the love of God. How he loves them more than you love them. Oh, Jesus. These worlds are colliding. If we'll invest in the word of God and in fellowship in Christ's center teaching and in prayer, then God's going to renew our mind. He's going to give us what we need to do these things of God. Let's look at John 10, 10. The, the, chief, purpose is to, the chief purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief's purpose still kill and destroy. See, but when we're in the Word of God, things change. Let's look at Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Sometimes we struggle with, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to be? What, 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 God? And just spend time with Him. He won't hide it from you. He'll reveal it to you. I don't care if you're this tall and young. I don't care if you're this tall. I don't care if you're this tall. I don't care if you have hair or no hair, gray hair, purple hair. Wherever you're at in the season of life, God will reveal His purpose for this season in your life. Do you know your purposes will be different from one season to the next? It's not going to be the same. It will be different. That's rich. That's beautiful. Now when we consider that story of Elijah and Mount Carmel, we find a nation confused and divided about who they would serve and who they would follow. Although God had given His people the Ten Commandments and said that they are to worship Him and Him alone and nobody else and that they're not to make carved images. And yet, they're being led by a ruler, by a king named King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And before long, there's Azrael poles. There's carved images and idols. And the leadership of the nation is teaching the people to serve the world versus the kingdom of God. The same one who delivered them from Egypt and slavery through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And here they are. Compromised. Here they are, confused. Here they are living in this world and living in that world and living in this world. And how about that world? 
There's a nation that's divided in its values. And the result is two sides that are about to collide. As we read this text of these two sides facing off and colliding, I want you to fast forward to today, in this age, that we live in right now and ask yourself, are there any parallels from then to now? So, a lot of texts, I'm going to read kind of fast, starting at verse 16. Again, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16. So, Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. So what had happened is Elijah had prayed and it hadn't, uh, hadn't rained for three and a half years. God tells him it's, it's time to go back and go talk to Ahab, the king. Passive, weak king. Ahab's looking for this guy all over the place because he, he wants to deal with him because he prayed for no rain. He wants him to reverse the prayer. He can't find him. He's been living at a brook. And then from there to go live with a widow. He's in the will of God, and none of it makes sense. In complete isolation in the wilderness, and you know what his gourmet meal is? Food from a raven. The barf of a raven. What? He's the only real solid man of God, and look where he's at in life. God says, okay, enough. Leave the widow, head on back. Time to go talk with Ahab. And as he does, he meets up with a guy named Obadiah. And Obadiah is a guy who just had a job working for the government. And all of a sudden, he's running the king's palace. And Obadiah, because they're on a journey to try to find some grass for all the, all the animals to eat because everybody's dying and the animals are dying. There's no water. There's no, there's no grass. And all of a sudden, Elijah says, Obadiah! Is that you, my Lord? And there's this grand excitement to see him. He says, oh, go, get, go get King Ahab. Tell him I want to see him. Oh, you want me to die? Because every time somebody says, I saw Elijah, all of a sudden you're not there, and then he kills them. I'm not going to take off, and then God take you away, and all of a sudden I'm dead. He says, no, 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 no. You go. I'll be here. And he does. And this is where we pick up in the story. But understand the difference in in the reception and the greeting that Ahab has versus Obadiah. Verse 17, Then Ahab saw him, saw Elijah, and he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Wait a minute, you're the king. The curse of no water came because of your leadership and you're blaming the prophet? Ah, that's interesting. So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? And I love the comeback. I have have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon. Now who's in charge here? I I thought Ahab's the king. But Elijah gives a directive here. He says, Now summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ezra, who are supported by Jezebel. What? They're financially taken care of by a pagan woman, the queen. A pagan 
queen of Israel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer? How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Why? Because they know there's two worlds. And they're confused which one is the right one. They don't know. They've been so saturated in the demonic, in, in the darkness. They don't know which way to go. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Why? Jezebel killed all the other ones. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose which one, whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Now he's doing this in a country that is known as the Hebrews, the Jews, the people of God, Israel. He's doing this in a holy nation. Choose, do you want to live for the pagans or do you want to live with God? And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Why would they have to agree? Because they don't know. The body of Christ today does not know if God is real or not. They don't hate God, but they don't know about God. There's a little apathy there. 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You guys go first. For there are many of you, 450 to be exact, choose one of the bulls and prepare it in Call on the name of your God, little g, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until new time, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Now you have to understand, I'm thinking to myself, you're, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and there's only one of you. Now, don't get me wrong, this dude prayed, and he hasn't prayed for three and a half years. But what gave him the courage, the fortitude, to stand up to these guys and even mock them? Because he was in isolation with just the Lord at the brook. He was there in isolation on purpose. It was preparatory. God was preparing him, body, soul, and spirit, for such a time as this at Mount Carmel. Because he had spent so much time in the presence of the Lord. I believe that. And he was able to mock these guys. Oh, was it juicy. Let's read. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder. 
he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming. Or he is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom. Did you catch that? Their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. I counseled a gal one time in Iowa. She had cut herself. The only places on her body that were not cut were the places that she could not reach with a blade. Everything had a cut on it. It's demonic. It's not new. It's been throughout the ages. Still, kill, destroy. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. That's rated R. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Why? Because Bell doesn't exist. I can't even say that he's dead. That would imply that he was alive at some point. He does not exist. They were living by lies. Verse 30, then Elijah called to the people. I love this part. Hey, come over here. Why? Because they were all over with the 450 prophets of Baal. They were doing what? They were looking, looking. Is it going to work? I'm not seeing anything. They were there for hours. And he says, hey, come over here. Their time's up. My turn. Here we go. And then can you imagine the hundreds, if not thousands of people turning around and a whole mob walking over to this one guy and then surrounding him. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. What's Elijah doing? He's restoring the altar of the Lord back to its original state. Because of their pagan living, it is no longer. Jezebel had it destroyed. And he put 12, why? For the 12 tribes of Judah. The younger generation probably didn't understand anything that was going on but the older generation did the older generation knows what it's like when we say win souls for christ the older generation know what it's like to see an altar full to see people crying because they're encountering the holy spirit the older generation know what it's like to see somebody slain in the spirit the older generation know what it's like to see the power of God move in the church. But the young generation, they don't know. They've never seen it. They've never experienced it. Whose responsibility is it? It's ours. 
Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. 33. He pulled wood on the altar, piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And, they, and when they had finished, he said, Now do it a third time. Can you imagine how much water is on this thing? The wood, have you ever tried to make it a fire with wet wood? That's just, that's just another way to say dumb is try to light a fire with wet wood. Can't do it. He drowns it. And the meat... So much that even the trough, the trench, is filled with water. Why is he doing this? Why do you let him go first? Why is he doing this? So there's no trickery involved. There's no Ill- fakeness or an illusion that it's real. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench, 36 and at the usual time for offering an evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Now hear how he prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he saying? O God of all covenants. You're a covenant God. Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me the answer me so these pe- these people Aren't you one of these people? Because they're confused. Like a lot of people in the body of Christ. I like this part of the world. It's good. I like this part of the kingdom of light and God. It's good. I get to pick some of this stuff over here, and I'll pick some of this stuff over here, and I get to create my own world. Stop being a juvenile. Pick this day who you will serve. Oh, Lord, answer me, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, wow, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. All the flesh is gone. You know how hard it is to burn up flesh? The wood is gone. The stones are gone. The dust is gone. The water is licked up right out of the trench. There is no water. It is all gone. 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He's God. And yes, the Lord is God. I don't know about you, but that sure would have got my attention. But it did more than grab their attention. It moved them into faith. Now I will act. And so now the prophet gives a directive. He gives them an instruction what to do now. Then Elijah commandment sees all the prophets of Baal, 450. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized. So the people. So the people. So the people. So the people. So the people seized 
all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Wow. Folks, I, I don't know what God's going to do in our country, in our nation, in, in this world. But I do know He is still calling me and calling you and asking you, who will you serve? I don't want to wait to the Mount Carmel moment. I want to be on the correct side to begin with. How about you? What are those adjustments, some major, some minor adjustments that you need to make in your life today? Me, today. That will have an incredible consequence in one year, in two years, in five years, in a decade, because we were willing to choose the kingdom of light and not be seduced by the kingdom of darkness. Well, Father, I pray for your people. What a sobering word today. But Lord, those whom you love, you chastise. You correct us, you challenge us. So Lord, I pray for all of us that we would hold on to this word. And we would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Your will, your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.